Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach. And in this episode, I wanna talk about my thoughts on artificial intelligence as I think they may help frame some things for you and give you some stuff to consider and how to approach artificial intelligence, right? Um, now, you know, admittedly, right, artificial intelligence, and one of the reasons why I'm doing this is because it can feel overwhelming. Uh, in just the past six months, things have really ramped up and you know, even now there's constantly all kinds of tools and applications that seemingly pop up that one can take advantage of, you know, and one kind of has to consider, you know, what is it, um, how is it used and so forth, right? Like there's just this barrage of onslaught of like, here's everything, right? And it's interesting to track that, right? Um, for me, and I'm not the first person to say this, I think AI, certainly as it stands right now, is a tool, right? So it is not about replacing people necessarily as opposed to people that who utilize AI, they will replace the ones who don't because people always want a more effective and efficient way for people to be productive in their roles and certainly AI allows for that right? And that's what this is really about, um, is, you know, kind of shifting your mindset a little bit about it, because I, yes, I think there are certain ethical implications to all of this, but, um, you know, as far as the ones that I'm seeing, it's more of a knee-jerk reaction from people not wanting things to change, and, you know, as my dear friend Ken Knapsack says, you know, uh, paraphrasing here, but essentially don't fear change. Uh, find your place within it, right? And that's kind of really what we're talking about with just whether it's AI or anything in life, right? Things will inevitably change. And you, if you try to go against that, you will suffer because you're going against the nature of reality, essentially. But let me give you a story that to me is very poignant to all of this. And that is photography, right? Because a lot of artificial tools, um, are, uh, AI tools, are within the creative space at the moment, right? At least, and, and maybe that's just because the way I'm perceiving them, right? Because I'm in the creative space and so those are the ones that are, I'm like being exposed to, right? So I understand that there could be a bias there and there could be tons of other AI tools that I'm just simply not aware of. But anyway, the point is, let's take uh, photography. When photography first started, people didn't look at it as an artistic expression. They looked down upon it quite like a lot of people look down upon AI tools of today. The reason for that was because they didn't think there was anything to it, you know? It was like, oh, this thing, right? It's just an apparatus that captures real life. It's something that already exists. The artist, quote unquote, didn't create it. They didn't do anything and so forth, right? Now, as I'm kind of describing this, you might be like, well, that's complete BS, well, of course there's artistic merit to photography. There's the lighting, the composition, the subject matter, um, 
you know, how the, the, the framing, right? So let's say it's a bunch of people, you know, where they are within that frame, if they're staged and so forth, perhaps not. You know, all of that matters, right? And even just the process dating back to film, right? Like actual film. When people were in dark rooms, there were all these kinds of ways to manipulate the photograph, you know, the dodge and burn technique and, and so forth that then got translated into digital tools, you know, within Photoshop and so forth, right? And so, of course, today we look at photography very much as an artistic expression, right? And so in that way, it helps, for me at least, to frame it that this is this is the period of history we are in with artificial intelligence is the pushback and people not seeing that sort of value within it. But like all things, you know, there's this wonderful graph. Um, I forget exactly what it's called, but, um, <coughs> excuse me, we call it like, it's basically not quite a bell curve, but in, in that sort of vein of, of how just adoption works in general, right? So you have the early adopters, they represent the small, minority and then there's the people that aren't quite early adopters but you know once they see that um, it's worthwhile then you know they'll start to jump on board and essentially there's a, a tipping point where all of a sudden it becomes mainstream and you know then everyone else who's kind of against it gets on board right and this is how all things kind of ultimately come to be relatively speaking, right? I mean, you know, we can look at personal computers. I'm sure there, there was, you know, there was, of course, the early adopters, you know, then, then the next phase of people until it, you know, now pretty much all of us within the U.S. use some sort of personal computer, right? There's, of course, you know, better, um, you know, computers out there versus others and so forth. But, you know, the, the general idea that we all use computers, right? So, that's kind of how it all works. And, and in that same way, you know, I'm not saying AI will be like 100% fully adopted by everybody and what the timeline on that is either, you know, but that's the idea, right? And so, you know, it's not a matter of, uh, it's not a matter of, okay, you know, AI versus not. It's a matter of which AI will continue to break through and which won't. You know, it's kind of like, because, and, and the people that continue to have jobs, right, as is all things, you know, will be the ones that are able to adapt, the ones that utilize AI tools as part of their workflow versus the ones that don't, you know? And that's just, as I said, I'm not the first one to kind of highlight this, but that's just the, the reality of it all. Now, you know, we're sort of at this like startup age, if you will, of, of AI where there's so many companies and the thing is, it's costly to do AI. And so certain ones that, you know, are novel and don't quite fulfill a purpose, like there, there's, it'll be interesting to see which ones stick around and which ones don't just because of the market, right? There's certain ones that I see that, you know, could be very useful, but they have, 
but for them to continue on, they're going to need a subscriber base or so forth of to, to create revenue. Now, some of these companies have already to, started to do that, and you know, um, some of them are keeping the price at a point where customers they find value in that. They're like, okay, cool, yeah, I can pay that price and utilize this. And there's other companies, you know, that might be like charging two hundred dollars a month for something that is like, yeah, solves an issue for people, but it's not worth two hundred a month issue. And so, in that sense. You know, it becomes an enterprise level sort of thing, but you can't always like, you know, in order to have the scale, it needs to be more on a consumer level. So in that sense, as with like the S&P 500, right, the the list of companies that stay on the S&P 500 changes, right? It, the, the list is not today is not the same as it was 50 years ago. And so the same kind of methodology can be applied to AI and how that's going to sort of unfold. And I just say, I mean, I'm not negating the ethical aspects of all this, um, but at the same time, you know, for artists, there's that notion of, okay, well, you know, you're just taking someone else's work and it's like people are old. In, in that same way, it's not to say that people are ripping off um, others, but like, you know, if there's always an inspiration and homage and so forth, right? Which is which is a polite way of saying essentially like you're, you learn from somebody else and you're taking that, right? And meshing it into your own thing. And then there's some people outright, like, I mean, how many... There's so many conventions that I see and, you know, just art online that uses unauthorized stuff to, because they're fans of it and they want to create this art and then they I sell that art, um, even though it's not authorized and, and make money, right? So it's like, why, why, why is that different, right? If we're going to talk about anything, it should be more about the AI underpinnings itself, you know, like the the bias of the coders, um, you know, if anything, like, I, I think in many ways, right, one of the things that can help propel this forward is to have a lot of this stuff be more open source, right? So it's not gated and, and, and people don't have a purview into how it operates, right? Um, and that's one of the things in general I like about the Web3 ideology, at least, is, you know, might not always come into practice, but the ideology is authenticity and openness. And so I hope AI, you know, kind of goes in that way. But I don't know, I, I just like the robot apocalypse and so forth, I'm not necessarily that afraid of. And, you know, as it stands right now, it, obviously, I can't predict the future and where all these all this stuff is headed. But like I said, A, it's costly. So, you know, how that all goes, we'll see. But um, right now, the AI tools for me, like they're they're tools. They are just that. But they they're part of the workflow. So, for example, I use ChatGPT and Midjourney predominantly. ChatGPT is a great research assistant, right? So when I need to 
ask questions, find out details about something, I can utilize ChatGPT. Um, far better than Google provides, right? That's what scares Google is that, you know, um, with ChatGPT, I can have that conversation and rather than do my own searching, it'll provide the answer. Now, of course, you know, the, the, the answer it spits out could have inherent flaws, could be inaccurate and so forth. So I still have to do my due diligence there. Just no, no, no differently than like looking something up through Google and reading an article and being like, okay, you know, is this completely true or is it not sort of a thing? And I use MidJourney as a way to come up with concept designs for all kinds of stuff, specifically with my storytelling. But not, none of it is the final product. It still requires me to, you know, let's just take the simple act of writing. It's, it still requires me to sit down in front of a computer and put in the time to write and come up with the story. These things can help spark ideas um, and get my imagination going, but they are not in and of itself the final product. So that's what we have to kind of consider, you know? And, you know, there, there's a novelty to it, right? Like I, I often think about like, okay, um, for my friend's birthday, like how cool would it be to create a mid-journey image um, commemorating something special of ours, right? Like, like just remembering an, uh, a memory, creating a prompt for mid-journey to create it, and then getting that printed and so forth. So I think in that sense it could be used, but, but um, that's because, you know, there's a novelty associated with it, whereas with the current stuff, there's a little bit still left to be desired um, overall in terms of the final product. Now, you know, an interesting aspect of AI, um, certainly Tesla, uh, among other companies, has been trying to create driverless cars. And this is why I don't fear AI as much as perhaps I used to, you know, when I gave into the um, collective consciousness fear. Because in this sense, it's not like a fully thinking thing. And it's not to say that, um, you know, AI can't get there necessarily. But as it stands right now, right, the idea that just AI could replace a single person to drive a car. We, you know, technologists that, that code all this stuff underestimate the actual decisions that go into this. We, we really lessen... The value of people, in this case, let's say truck drivers or cab drivers or just everyday people, and we think, oh, well, you know, they're not us. Um, anyone can really do those jobs. So therefore, it's a low value job. So of course, artificial intelligence can replace it. And it's like, it hasn't been so successful. And there's a reason for that because we're going to really start to learn what jobs actually, <laughs> like we've been, we, we've been really crapping on. Right, someone on TikTok I saw, and I apologize, I don't know who it is, um, but uh, but I saw that they were kind of talking about this, and you know, one of the examples that they gave was also the notion of just let's say like a personal chef, right? Like even with a billion dollars to replace someone to be like to create a menu for the week, to go grocery shopping, to make the food. And then store the food and have it ready for you. Like, 
it would take a lot more than a billion dollars to make that um, artificial intelligence. And it seems like such a mundane, simple, again, a job that through the lens of quote unquote society, right? Not everyone, but just, uh, you know, the capitalistic view of it is like, oh, well, that's a, you know, low stakes, um, low intensity job, you know, doesn't require much thought power, you know, doesn't earn money, blah, 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 right? And yet, you know, the idea that like a billion dollars couldn't be invested to create an AI to allow for that. So as I said, we're going to start to see in that sense, the real value of all of these jobs, right? And it goes back to the point of, you know, who will be replaced and who will not be. And, you know, there's going to be jobs that we're going to find out cannot be replaced in, in in this current iteration, right? And then, you know, as I said, it's not that, job, that AI will replace people outright. It's that people who will be using AI in specific roles will replace the ones that aren't. So that's kind of where I'm at with things overall. And, you know, for me, why I've been approaching this and just kind of how I generally approach all sort of learning, right? Because... Our education really is the culmination of a lifetime, right? And so, you know, within art and specifically for like me, let's say filmmaking or podcasting or, you know, anything of that nature, there's a constant evolution. Um, And in order to, you know, essentially stay relevant, stay hireable, you have to stay on top of that. And it's one of the questions I ask when I interview people is, you know, how do you, how, how do you stay knowledgeable, right? Um, and for me, you know, it works in two ways. One, every week I try to very much, you know, dedicate time to just researching, just seeing, you know, what is out there, you know, having this dedicated time to consume news and podcasts um, and just go down rabbit holes on the internet and so forth and not see it as a waste of time, but just, you know, digging what's out there. And, I'll make a list and things of that nature. Um, but then, and if I see something that can help my workflow, I might dig into it and see, is it applicable, is it not? And then the flip side of that is knowing specifically like, okay, if I'm doing, if I need something very specifically done, then, you know, going after that and, and, and realizing, oh, this is, this is what's available to me. Okay, cool. Um, how to do that. So it's it's just a much more focused and consorted um, effort of the first notion, right? Of just this research, this ongoing research of step number one. And so the two in tandem is how I approach it. You know, am I always successful? Like there's, you know, especially now there's just so much to learn. And, you know, my list of things to actually check out is vast, right? Um, And so, you know, part of it is to not be overwhelmed and to see and recognize, okay, what is worth truly going down the rabbit hole of that that is applicable to you versus like, oh, this is nice and it's great, but it's outside the realm of 
what I need and so forth, right? Um, and so you can kind of keep those things on the back burner, like where you know about it, you know it's there, and if you need it, you can pull, you know, you can gravitate towards it, but, but otherwise, you know, don't sweat it. It's not the end of the world. And that's how I've been approaching all of this, right? And, you know, going back to Ken Knapsock's quote, you know, figuring out my place in all of this change as it specifically applies to artificial intelligence. And it's been very cool to see other friends embrace it. And because now, instead of me just learning from random people online, which is great too, I can have much deeper, more involved conversations with my friends about all of this. And that's exciting, you know? And they can teach me stuff and I can teach them stuff. And then collectively we can come up with something else. That, that, that's the fun aspect in all of this. So, yeah, you know, um, and one of the things for me personally that I'm going to be utilizing or, or looking to use is how do we just, in general, better my workflow? Because let's say like an episode like this, you know, I create it and I post it to all kinds of platforms, YouTube, um, you know, Anchor, so it goes out as a podcast onto Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so forth. I also put it up on Vimeo and SoundCloud and, you know, if I can, if it's short enough, I'll sometimes put it up on Instagram, yada, 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 right? So it goes Facebook, I put, put, put it up on Facebook. So it goes all, all these platforms, um, but it would be much more streamlined if I could just upload it to one place, give it all the information it needs, you know, title description, blah, blah, blah. And then from there, it just spits out this thing. And there's ways to do that. And so that's kind of, what I'm currently exploring as far as um, just tools in general. But yeah, you know, so you try to, as far as the research side of it goes, right, you try to identify the pain points of the stuff that you do and see what exists out there. And uh, chances are some of it might exist, might not. And some of the stuff that I do discover is not always perfect. You know, like uh, I utilize Descript, which is... um, a great tool for podcasters as well as video editors, um, more, more like documentary space, but um, I've done episodes about that in the past, so you can check those out. But, you know, it, it's a great tool, but it's not perfect. And as I said, like with all these AI tools, they are that. Things for you to look, utilize, but the end product you still need to be involved on. So anyway, um, I welcome you to comment with your thoughts, perhaps questions, down below or hit me up on social media at PhilSpeedTech. Also, if you appreciate the things that I do and think would benefit from more direct interaction, that's what my Patreon page is for, patreon.com slash It's got one tier, $10 a month. You can see behind the scenes stuff. But more importantly, I do coaching sessions um, there. And... Um, you know, that's a way for us to interact with me specifically to be able to help you more directly. So that is available to you should you want that. Anyway, thank you so much. I truly do appreciate you and hope to see you next time.